0: Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Good to see you guys. Man, full house today. You're looking good. This is the best looking crowd I've seen since first service. I'm telling you what. Straight up. No lies detected. Hey, everybody, we got duck football back. It's back. Did somebody boo? You are in Eugene, Oregon, friend. Come on, is there a Husky fan in the house? Damon's out. Cast him out right now. I'm just teasing. Anyways, I won't, I won't spend a lot of time talking about college football, but when the Ducks put up an 80-burger on, I don't care who it is, that's a good day at Autzen Stadium. And uh, Pac-12 is showing out on their last season before, uh, before the Beavers go to the Mountain West and um, <laughs> Ducks go to the Big Ten, but I actually am a Beaver fan. I only root for the, the Beavers when they're not playing the Ducks. How about that? Okay, so... I like the beavers, but uh, man, I'm all duck, duck fan through and through, and uh, that was a good time yesterday, and uh, it's fun to see our team ride to victory, but it's even better to be together today in the house of God and in church together, and uh, man, I just, if you walked in here today and you're discouraged, maybe you didn't even want to be here today, but a friend dragged you here, or maybe you were driving by and you were like, isn't that that church with the free coffee and donuts? And uh, yes, that, this is the place for that, but I, I believe for whatever reason that you See on the surface that brought you here today. God wanted you to be here today to be in His presence. as we sang and worshiped Him today, and we're in His presence, as we now look into the word, I believe God's going to speak something to you, and you're going to leave encouraged and challenged, and uh, you're going to grow closer to Jesus. This might even be your spiritual birthday to put your faith and trust in Jesus today for the first time. So I'm excited about what God's doing today. Well, we've been in a series. And this is the penultimate message next, last, uh, next week is the last one, but we are in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We're kind of round and third coming on the way home and we've been looking at the prison epistles uh, which were so named because they were penned by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. while he was incarcerated, while he was in jail, he was uh, enjoying three hots in a cot except for not really. probably wasn't getting either the three hots or the cot. He was actually in some cases chained to the ground, uh, which wasn't very good, but he wrote these, these four epistles or letters to four uh, churches or individuals. He wrote one to uh, the Ephesian Christians in Ephesus, the Philippians in Philippi, the Christians in Colossae, and then he wrote to a man named Philemon. So these are the four letters. And we've been studying the book of Ephesians, which if you look at this letter and the structure of it, it takes place in really two sections. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul establishes the beauty and the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians, what we see can be summed up in these first three chapters into three really powerful words, that when you give your life to Jesus, when you are a recipient of the good news, the gospel, when you become a Christian, you are, number one, set free from the power of Satan. This is a really awesome thing, right? Number two, you are forgiven and made right with God. Yep, it's a good one too. And then my favorite one is, number three, you are brought into the family of God. You are given a seat at the table. What we are doing right now today is we're not just spectating as a bunch of people who happen to show up on a Sunday morning at some religious institution. No, we are rather the family of God. We are the church, the body of Christ. We're gathered together. We were brought out of the isolation and loneliness of our sin, and we're brought into the family of God. We have a place of fellowship, a place of community that's not based on the color of our skin, uh, what's in our bank account, who we voted for in the last election, Uh, or what football team you support. It's based on the fact that we've all come to the foot of the cross and received Jesus' payment for our sins, and we are now children of God. Amen? Amen. So we're brought into the family of God. We're brought into the purposes of the family of God. We like to say here at Joy Church, you can kind of see it on this banner over here, you were made on purpose and for a purpose. You don't just have a place at the family table, you have a place, like us Sicilians like to say, in the family business. (laughs) Like God is up to something in the world. I call it his cosmic remodeling project. God looks at our sin, our brokenness, our despair. He sent Jesus into our mess to invade our story. And now we participate with Christ to bring heaven to earth. We participate to let God's goodness begin to change us from the inside out. And then we begin to change the world and begin to change our relationships as, the, as we surrender ourselves to Christ His Holy Spirit dwells in us and begins to produce that awesome fruit. We read about in Galatians 5, things like patience and goodness and all that good stuff. Amen? So as part of God's family, we're also participating in what God is up to. In the second half of the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he takes that reality of the gospel, that that freedom that we have in Christ, that forgiveness we have in Christ, and that we're brought into the family of God. And he says, now because of that, you have a new life. You have a new place. You have a new identity. You're in a new family. And just like if you switch from one family to another, there used to be rules and ways of doing things in your old family but now you're in a new family and there's a new way of operating. And so in Ephesians 4 through 6, we hear all about how we are to act with one another in the family of God and how we're to treat other people. And Paul kind of goes from the global perspective of how we treat people and he narrows it down. Last week we looked at how we are to be married as Christians. How many of you know marriage is like ground zero for learning how to treat people like Jesus would treat them? Because you don't want to do that all the time in marriage, right? And then... uh, uh, today we're going to look at some other relationships that Paul identifies. So we're diving in. We're going to look at how we as Christians are meant to operate in the context of relationship. And let's make something very clear. The Christian faith is not about how you exclusively relate to God. The Christian faith is about how your relationship with God influences how you relate to and deal with other people. Amen? This is why Jesus' disciple John, he said, hey, you can't tell me you love God, but you hate your brother. Now, that might sound really abstract until you have kids in a family, right? Because we literally had to preach that message this week, the whole week. I had my girls together. I'm like, look, you know, the Bible says if you hate your brother or sister, you don't really love God. Penny, do you love God? (laughs) Evie, do you love God? Okay, well, you got to treat your sister with more kindness, right? Give each other a hug. You know, it was so cute because Evie's tall, you know, she's pretty tall. And so she got down on her knees and her and Penny gave each other a hug and I, was, I had something in my eye. I had to wipe some allergies or something. I don't know what was going on. But as Christians, how we treat people is the water level, the watermark of how our relationship with God is going. Tell you what, God never lets me down. He's perfect. He never gets in my business, right? But other people, that's where patience comes into play, right? That's where that stuff is, and vice versa. I, people need to show God's love to me as well, because I create irritations. I've been told once or twice. <laughs> I don't believe it, but. So as we look at Ephesians 6, we're continuing in this theme of how we operate together as Christians. And today we're going to look at two interesting ones. One that is maybe potentially controversial, one that I think will just be normal. But Paul actually identifies two groups of people in this passage that we're going to read. He identifies parents of children and how children and parents are meant to operate. And then Paul also talks about slaves and masters. And so we're going to look at this today and see the context of this and how it can apply to us today. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 together. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. And you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favorites. Lord, I pray that today as we read your word that we would not seek to conform your word to our cultural understanding, but we would allow our hearts, our minds to be changed and challenged and shaped by what your word says to us. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to see what you're speaking to us through your word Lord, and to be able to to say, I'm going to take that in and I'm going to be good soil and let it produce fruit in my life. Lord, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to deal with the passage about slavery here first. uh, Verses 5 through 9. So if you'll put on the screen that first point, no, Paul wasn't pro-slavery, okay? I want to get the elephant in the room dealt with really quick. Because when you read a passage like this, on the surface, I'm thinking about kunta quinta, roots, that kind of slavery, you know, some of you know what that is, some of you don't. But I'm thinking about the slavery that we would talk about in our cultural context today is like 16, 17, 1800s, and the atrocities and the evil. And when you read the Bible and you go, why is it sort of casually, why is the Paul sort of casually dealing with slavery? Why isn't he saying, this is wrong, stop it immediately, don't? How many of you would say that's a fair question right here, okay? Well, here's what we got to understand. This is not the kind of slavery that we have any kind of cultural context for understanding. What he's dealing with is what we call socioeconomic slavery that is prevalent here in the Greco-Roman world. So this is the ancient world. Remember that Paul is writing this to Christians who have just, are one generation old in the Christian faith. They are pagans out of the city of Ephesus. They worship this goddess called Diana of the Ephesians. Uh, they're, they're pagans. Maybe some of them are Jewish people that have converted to Christianity, but by and large, these are just... Uh, Greco-Roman citizens, right? They're citizens of the Roman Empire, and they live in a particular society and culture. Now, as we read the Bible, we need to understand some important principles, because one of the things I want to do today is I want to share with you what the Scripture is communicating to us, but I also want to equip you that as you go to the Bible each and every day and seek out God's Word and try to learn from it and grow from it, which I highly encourage, but I want to share with you some principles that will both enrich your understanding of scripture and help you but also protect you from from reading into the scripture so when we read the bible as serious followers of jesus we want to be careful to do something called exegesis which means to read out of the scripture what it is communicating accurately and not do what is called eisegesis which is to read into the scripture a meaning that is not there does that make sense how many of you don't like it when your words get taken out of context Right? You say something and somebody goes, they react to it the opposite way. You go, hey, that's not actually what I meant to say. Right, And this happens with, between good uh, intentioned people all of the time. So let's make sure this doesn't happen with the scripture where we don't apply a 2023 lens or cultural overview and read some stuff in here that's not being spoken, that we allow the text to speak to us. We allow God to speak to us through his word, but it starts with understanding the context of what's actually taking place. So as we look at this passage here, let me give you some rules for reading Scripture. We need to always remember this. The Bible was written for you, but it wasn't written to you, okay? In other words, you are a third party reading communication taking place between God and speaking to a human being who's writing down these words, but they are a citizen of that time, of that culture, of that city, of that era. And they're writing what God is speaking to them and what he's putting in them, but it's through a human being or a lens of what they're experiencing. And they're writing to an audience or a culture. So for example, in this situation, Paul is not speaking to Christians in 2023 in the United States with the various issues and things that we're dealing with and our socioeconomic status and all of that. He's speaking to these first-generation Christians in the city of Ephesus who live in the ancient world in which socioeconomic slavery is a reality of life so interwoven and embedded in all of their economic and military complexes and everything that it is essentially immovable and will be for hundreds and hundreds of years until the seed of the gospel actually creates the abolition movements that come much later in history. But like everything in life, things that are wrong, what happens is society lags behind and it is the gospel that plants the seed of change that will be realized even in culture at large later on. Now, I made some big statements right there. What I'm saying is this, sometimes God will deal with us where we are in order to bring us to where he wants us to be. How many of you are grateful for the grace of God in your personal life and that you might be, have truth revealed to you about what you should do, and yet God is grace, gracious with you to allow you to grow into what he's called you to be and do? right? You ever had somebody tell you, like, you're dealing with something, you're dealing with a sin. You go, man, I'm like, I'm having trouble. I'm struggling with this particular sin. And they're like, well, you should just stop it. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. You know, it's like I try to tell Husky fans, right? I like the Huskies. I can't help it. I'm like, stop. (laughs) Repent right now in Jesus' name. And they're like, I can't. And I'm like, ah, you know, it's frustrating. All joking aside, sorry, Husky fans. I'll pick on another team next week. Uh, All joking aside, how many of you have things in your life where you know that it's wrong, you know you should stop, it isn't God's ideal, and yet you're in a process of change, okay? That is our experience as human beings, even those of us that are Christians, followers of Jesus. My capacity to know truth and see the light is, it always exceeds my capacity to obey Jesus. I often know exactly what is right, what I should and shouldn't do, and yet, like Paul in Romans 7 What I do, what I know I should do, I don't do. What I don't, what I know I shouldn't do, that's what I do. Is this what we experience? Now, think about culture and society at large and human history, how much farther that lags behind. And so, what we see here in Ephesians is neither a condemnation of slavery as it exists in the Greco Roman world, but nor is it a condoning of this uh, state of affairs. It is simply Paul speaking into. People that find themselves in this situation that at their current cultural moment is immovable to them. And this is a theme you're going to see all throughout the scripture, that God oftentimes will provide you the tools to deal with the reality that you are in, even though that reality will not change for you, even in your own lifetime. You see, as a Christian, we live as people of tension. There is a tension in us that says we understand and know what heaven looks like, and we have a seed of that today but we're going to wrestle with our own sin and even the brokenness and destruction of our society. And we're, we're following after Jesus and we're helping things get better. But even in the midst of things we can't change or move or stop, we're still going to trust God and we're still going to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem in the micro so that eventually it leads to the change on the macro level. Okay, I know this is kind of big thoughts here, but summing this up, Paul is not pro-slavery. He isn't actually speaking about the institution He's simply acknowledging and recognizing this is a fact of life for his audience at this time in history. Does everybody understand that? And so Paul, speaking into the socioeconomic reality of this time. He's teaching Christians, people that have slaves, people that are slaves, but now have turned their life to Jesus, but still are citizens of this time period in the Greco-Roman world. He's saying now... You're going to apply this new ethic. You're going to apply this new lens of understanding in how you relate to each other. So even if this master-slave dynamic does not change in this generation or time, uh, you can still, in this, ask what would Jesus do in this moment? And Paul's teaching here is radically countercultural to this audience. For us, it might seem retrogressive, you know, like regressive. Like, man, he's not even dealing with slavery. He should, like, just tell him to stop right now. But actually for this audience, it's incredibly, incredibly progressive because he tells the masters, you have the same master. So though you might find yourself in a situation where you own uh, this household and this is how things are and you have these slaves, remember that if you're in Christ, you both have the same master. Paul does the same type of a thing with marriage. He does the same type of a thing with, as we're going to see, raising kids. Paul reminds us That it's not to dominate or domineer or do things that are outside of Christ, whatever, regardless of the situation we find ourselves in, but to honor Christ in our relationships with one another and treat each other with respect, with love, with humility, with kindness, even when the circumstances aren't going to change of the particular time. He commands masters to treat their slaves with respect, tells them to have the same master in heaven, and he tells the slave that you will be rewarded Regardless of the circumstance of your life, you, you can't control always how your circumstances are or what your circumstances are, but what you are in control of is how you respond in those moments. Now, I look at this and I go, man, I know that the heart of Jesus is not for a human being to own another human being. How many of you would agree with that? And I'll, and I'll explain why I believe that later, okay? Not just because I believe it because I'm, you know, enlightened or something. No, actually, The ethic that Jesus teaches us, the golden rule, which we'll study in just a second, would preclude something like human slavery. But what I often find as I read passages like this is that there is a deeper uh, context for me as someone who this was not written to and who does not own slaves, is not interested in that, does not know somebody who owns slaves, so on and so forth. Though I know slavery does exist in our world, that's not my context of life. Okay, And my guess is that it's not your context of life. If it is, come chat with me after. We'll help you out. Okay. Uh, seriously, I mean, maybe that is a reality. I probably shouldn't laugh about it because there are people in slavery. But anyways, um, for me, when I read this, what I realize is there are things in life where I find myself in a circumstance or situation that I want to change and I can't change it. And so I'm left with two to, with a decision. Do I either rage against the circumstance and, and gnash my teeth or do I allow Jesus to work in me even in circumstances and situations that I can't control? And understand that the principle that Paul is teaching the slaves in this situation, that you will be rewarded by what you do regardless of the circumstance you find yourself in, is a valuable truth to take out of this. Good. Thank you, Bethany. <laughs> Appreciate that. My wife says it's good, so that is uh, that's what I'm going to take home today. So Paul's giving 100% countercultural teaching here to the masters, but he's giving some hope for everyone in whatever circumstance, and we can take something away from that. We both have the same master in heaven. Okay, moving on. We're going to look at verse one through four. He says, "Children, obey your parents." because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. And he quotes one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that you have uh, that comes from the Lord. You have everything you need in God to be a great parent. Now, I think As I look at this passage again, it's not written to us, but it is written for us. And I think many more of us can relate to the context of being a parent. All of us have been a child of someone, whether they did a good job or not, your mom and dad, your parents, or if they were around or whatever. But many of us have the opportunity to actually raise our children. And I know for myself as a parent and even raising young kids, parenting can feel very overwhelming. Parenting is tiring. It can be frustrating. And I think at the root of The frustration or the difficulty with parenting is a fear that I felt myself, I know Bethany and I have have talked through this, but we've also heard it from so many parents, this fear that our children aren't going to love Jesus, or they're not going to turn out to be good people, right? How many of you ever had like a terrorist hostage negotiation with a five-year-old and you thought, am I raising the next really bad, you know, member of society here? You know, why did I name my child Manson? I just don't understand. Be quiet, Adolf. It's not time for that. You know, like what's happening here? Hopefully you relate to that. There's a, there can be a fear that our children are going to be who we believe they are to be in God, who, they, who God's called them to be. Are they going to turn out well and, and love Jesus? And when I see Paul's words here to us, to me there's so much equipping and encouraging that takes place. Because if we go back to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, setting the stage for how these relationships work, I think this gives us a really important lesson about being a parent. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, which would include parenting, because you are his dear children. I don't know the template, the model, the type of parent you had, father, mother, maybe they were absentee, maybe they were abusive. I don't know. What I do know is that when you come into the family of God and you are now a Christian, you can look to your father in heaven and say, you are my example that I can model to these little Adolphs so that they don't turn into Adolphs, right? You are my example that I can model to these beautiful gifts, these beautiful children. And God, as you father me, I can father these kids. God, as you parent me through my mess ups and my screw ups and my mistakes and my rebellions and my obstinacies, that God, I can watch you and I can learn from you like sitting at the feet of the greatest father And I can model that to my kids. And so I say, you have everything you need in God to be a great parent. Now, as Paul goes on and teaches us here, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This word provoke here, it means to exasperate. It means to push your children beyond their limit. Here's the reality. Every every child is is simply a child at a certain stage of maturity and growth. And there are so many times with my kids where I get frustrated because it's like, why do you wipe your fingers on your shirt? You know, the other night we're at dinner and Bethany and I are like, stop it! Because the kids were like eating tacos or something and then just wiping it on their clothes. Any other parents relate to this? And, there's, and it's not like we're impoverished and we don't have napkins. I mean, I almost wanted to take out a tape measure and be like, they are literally 19 inches from your hands. You know, the napkins are here, dirty hands here, Take napkin, use, wipe dirty hands, do not wipe on clothes. And yet, again and again, there is this lack of maturity, lack of understanding, whatever it is. And I want to yell, I want to be like, don't ever do that again. And then I, and I remember that yesterday when I was making that same dumb mistake, that Father God didn't go, Jake, don't ever do that again, you moron. That I'm growing and there's a level of maturity and likewise with my children, there's a level of growth, there's a level of maturity. And as a father, my job is to bring the appropriate level of challenge and nurture at the appropriate level and not push them into a place of exasperation, frustration. This is way beyond me. I can't handle it. And so it's saying here, don't push your kids beyond that current level of maturity. Give them what they need to grow at a healthy pace. And when you need an example for this, think about how God is with you. Here's the reality, like I said before, my capacity to know what is right, what is good, to see the light far exceeds my obedience level. How many of you would say that's where I'm at, Pastor Jake? Like I know that I shouldn't do certain things and yet I keep going to that thing, I keep doing that thing. My obedience does not always match my knowledge of God and yet God doesn't come in immediately and smite me. In fact, what I actually feel from my father is his grace, hey, we're going to try again tomorrow, and he still loves me regardless of my failures. And so we have a perfect example to follow. Do not provoke your children to anger. Don't exasperate them. Don't push them beyond their current level of maturity. And then he goes on, he says, and bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. This phrase, bring them up, it literally means to properly nourish to maturity, to properly nourish to maturity. I think about kids like garden plants, you know, tender plants in the garden that you're getting ready to plant. They need a particular environment, they need particular nutrients, they need that water, they need the sunlight at the appropriate level. And there's a process of curation and care to take a plant from that, that immature state to a mature state where it's healthy and thriving and fruitful. Earlier this year, uh, Bethany was, I noticed she was doing something and I'm like, I didn't understand it. Every morning I would wake up and she'd come into the uh, dining room and and there would be like six or eight or ten or more (laughs) platters of tomato plants. And they were just young tomato plants. She was growing them from seeds. And every morning they'd be inside the house and she'd take them outside and put them on the back porch. And it would take quite a while because it was a lot of tomato plants. And then every night she would bring them back in. And I didn't even know what she was doing, but I think one time I was like, "Hey, can I help you?" And I moved, you know, a couple in, and I'm a good person. I just want you to know. <laughs> so uh, finally, I was like, w- "What are you doing?" You know, I'm not a gardener. Now, how many of you gardeners know exactly what she was doing? You know, some of you. And she goes, "Well, I'm hardening them them off. Like I'm I'm getting I'm toughening them up." I, and and I and I was like, "What are you talking about? Is this like a prison thing? Like you're, you're toughening them up?" You know. She's like, no, they they need to come inside at night because they won't survive the elements. It's too cold at night, but they need to get, they need to learn what it's like to live outside because they're going to be out there. And I thought, man, what a beautiful picture of Father God and how he works with us, that he brings us in and out of the light and the darkness and brings us in and out of the elements of life. There's care and intentionality that goes in to raising a young plant and giving it just enough challenge so it'll make it to go the distance, right? I want my kids to to experience life and understand the challenges and the difficulties of life. Though I protect my children, I can't shield them from all pain and suffering and all hardship because they need to understand living on planet Earth, uh, before Jesus comes back, there is going to be trouble. Jesus himself said it, in this world, you will have trouble, right? So the tomato plant has to go outside sometimes. But then there are other circumstances where the tomato plant at night, it comes in. And as a parent imitating God, it's your job to know which is which and when is when, right? When is the time for challenge? When is the time for nurture? I'm going to give you some opinions today, uh, and then you can take it and eat the fish and spit out the bones. But I hear Christian parents especially saying things like, well, I want my children to be missionaries, you know, in a particular environment at school or wherever, and I've never agreed with that perspective, and I'll tell you why. Because I think that when, when the cultural pressure upon my children's young and growing minds is larger and greater and more grotesque than, than what I can create in the internal nurture environment, I'm not gonna put them out there. When, when they're hotter than the culture that they're gonna go in, that's when they become missionaries. Let me tell you right now, if somebody comes and tries to convince me that I'm a girl and that I, you know, whatever, and like I need to get a surgery or something, I'm not gonna have trouble defending myself. I'm not confused about that, okay? My seven or eight-year-old little girl, I'm not gonna let somebody propagandize them with particular things. So I'm saying tomato plant right now, you're gonna be inside. When that conversation comes, it's actually gonna be dad that has it with the person that wants to have that conversation. And right, okay? When, 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 the, when the plant is hardened off, right? It's spent a nickel and a dime or whatever, and it's ready to go, you know? I'm ready now. Now the plant can go outside and have this conversation. Uh, many of you be familiar with Corey Tinboom. Corey Tinboom was uh, reading a book, and the topic of sex came up in this book that she was reading. And she went to her father. She said, "Papa, what is this word? What does this mean?" He said, "Corey, you know that I carry a briefcase every day." And he said, "Can you lift my briefcase?" She was just a little girl. She said, "No, Papa, I can't lift that briefcase." He said, "Corey, in the same way that there are loads that only your Papa can carry right now until you're grown and strong enough." That conversation is for a time when you'll be strong enough to hold that, you know, to carry that and and, and tell that time, I'm going to carry this load for you. So as parents, here's the thing. God has placed you in your children's life to know the difference between is this outside tomato time or inside tomato time, right? This is why we have veggie tails, everyone. See, it was a lot deeper. (laughs) It was a lot deeper than we thought all along. Godly parenting is proactive, not reactive. We watch God and then we proactively say, what would God do in this particular situation with this growing young child, this plant? I'm not reacting and, and, and in frustration and panic to and fear of how to, how to raise kids. I'm following God. I'm imitating God. And I'm pouring that into my children. And our children will grow and flourish. The scripture says that our children will be like plants growing up vines in the house of God. They'll be like pillars in the house of God. One of the things I want to encourage you with parents is that you are called to pass a legacy and a heritage of faith to your children. There is no scripture in the Bible that says your kids have to go serve the devil when they turn 13 or that they have to turn into little hell hell raisers for five or 10 years and then come back after they've been addicted to drugs and had two marriages and, and maybe went to jail for a while. Uh, when they're in their 20s to serve Jesus. If that was your story, praise God for his grace to bring you back. But that's not going to be the story for my kids. I would like to see our testimonies of raising kids in the house of God that are like Timothy's. Timothy, you have received a faith from your grandmother and your mother, Lois and Eunice, and that faith dwells in you. I want the faith of Steve Schmelzer to be the, the faith of Jake Schmelzer. That is the faith of Jack Schmelzer. Come on, somebody that there's generational heritage of faith because there's actually parents who aren't asleep in a culture that actually wants to consume your children and feed them to Satan and his kingdom and purposes, but would rather say, actually, there's parents that are imitating a heavenly father that loves them and is nourishing them and challenging them at the right level and nourishing them at the right level, and we're going to see kids raised up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, who, when it's time will shape and change the culture around them and be difference makers. So you have everything you need in God to be a great parent. Number three, when in doubt, in any relationship, whatever the power dynamic that exists, whether it's children and parents, servants and masters, or slaves and masters, whether it's husband and wife, whatever human relationship we find ourselves in, when in doubt, it's always the golden rule. I'd encourage you to go back and watch the previous message to get a lot more of the nuance of what I'm sharing in these talks because what we've looked at is the fact that the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would 100% agree with Jesus Christ. And Jesus had a very unique perspective of power dynamics and how we're to operate. And it's best summed up in what we call the Golden Rule. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus tells us, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. As members of God's family, Jesus gives us a new way of living, a new way of life. We are empowered by the Spirit to treat everyone, regardless of the circumstance that we can or cannot control, with kindness, with grace, with humility, and we're to do to other people what we would want done to us. So when we find ourselves in situations where we can't change the power dynamic, what do we do? We treat other people how we would want to be treated. If you are in power and you're, and you're dealing with somebody who's under your authority or under your power, whatever that relationship looks like, many of you are business owners, you have employees, are you creating a heavenly workplace for your employees? Does that mean they don't ever have to respond to the rules or can come in whenever? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying are you treating people as image bearers of Christ And letting Christ work through your authority with those that you have power over. Yes and amen. Right? That's what we're to do as believers. If you are under someone else's authority, whether they're doing a good job in that authority or not, you can still respond in a Christ-honoring way. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And your reward comes for your response, not for your circumstance. Now, Christians, when we are faced with, in society and culture, areas that need to be changed, Are we ever called to speak into things and and say, look, it shouldn't be this way? Yes, absolutely. But it always starts with an internal transformation of the Holy Spirit working in us, and that opens our voice to speak into culture, which is what we've seen. Though the Apostle Paul does not condemn nor condone slavery in this passage, the the seed of Christian teaching and Jesus' golden rule becomes literally the plant of abolition that ends human slavery in certain areas of history. Now, In our generation, we're faced again with the great evils, sex trafficking and all this kinds of stuff. And once again, Christians, we have to say, do we allow God's word to shape us, change us, and are we gonna become part of the solution where we can control things? Or are we just gonna yell really loud about the things we can't control? What we need to do is let the change start internally and then out of our lives, we can become social innovators and changers and make things better around us in God's cosmic remodeling project, Amen? amen? But when in doubt, in any human relationship, it's always golden rule. Join with me in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for your word today. I pray, God, that it would challenge us, change us. Lord, if there's something we don't understand, I pray we would seek clarity, that, Lord, we wouldn't uh, be offended uh, by something that we heard. uh, But, Lord, we would be uh, open-hearted, open-minded and say, I want to know what God is saying. I want to know what he's asking of me. I want to know what he's challenging me to do, how he's asking me to grow. Lord, I thank you today that you spoke to us about some different things. I pray that for those of us that are have the honor of being parents, that we would take that challenge and responsibility with seriousness. And Lord, we would raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we would raise kids that look like you. And that Lord, you would take away that fear uh, from us because we can follow you, our dear father. That we, we get to be parents under the, the great teaching of, of the greatest father. And we get to imitate you, Lord, and how we love, how we challenge, how we nurture, and how we raise up our kids. Lord, I thank you for each and every person here today. I pray that you would speak to us, that you would change us, that in our relationships, Lord, we would operate by this golden rule and allow this new ethic that Jesus gave us to treat other people how we would want to be treated, to rule our relationships regardless of the circumstance or status of those relationships. Lord, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd bow your head and close your eyes for just one more minute, if, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I want to be, I want to be part of God's kingdom. I want to be part of God's family. The gospel that we've been talking about, the good news is what that means. It's that that Jesus died to set you free. He died to forgive you and he died to make you part of God's family. And he rose again. He offers you the chance to follow him as your Lord and Savior. We call that process becoming a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus. If you want to put your faith and your trust and give your life to Jesus today, that I'm just gonna ask you right now to lift up your hand and I'm not gonna call you out or embarrass you or anything like that. I'm just gonna pray with you. We're all gonna pray with you together. And if you wanna put your faith in Jesus, thank you. Come on, just lift up your hand right now so I can see. Thank you so much. Awesome. Anybody else here today? I wanna put my faith in Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Come on, anybody else? I don't wanna leave this place without giving you an opportunity to put your faith in Christ. Amazing. Okay, let's pray this all together can all repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. I give you my life, my affection, my allegiance. I choose to follow you. Thank you for making me one with God, part of God's family. I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen.